Welcome to the Warrior's Edge Podcast. You're your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, thanks for uh, tuning into the show. We have a very, very special guest for you guys today. Uh, he, he is uh, in Capoeira. He's also a stunt performer, a stunt and fight coordinator. This guy's doing it all, man. Super excited to talk with him. Lloyd Bateman. Hello, sir. Hey, Tom. How you doing? Oh, uh, man. Doing super good. I still got to get my little applause button. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody doesn't like canned, uh, canned applause. That's I great. mean, come on. Uh, you know, you start yeah. blushing and everything. You know, so, um, hey, you know, so you the last time you're on... Make a shot. Yeah. You know, last time you're on the show, we <laughs> talked a, a little bit about uh, your capoeira side of training uh, mm-hmm. and obviously other, you know, physicality, because we also talk about all martial arts uh, for Warrior's Edge podcast um, and fitness and things like that as well. So I'm sure... Right. Uh, you know, I like to focus on that more side of things, but also going mm-hmm. to the stunt and all that fun stuff too. Great. Um, can you briefly go into how you even got the interest or introduced to Capoeira? Uh, if I'm completely honest with you, I saw, I was loved movies as a kid, obviously. So I think I, I don't remember even what I went to see, but I seen a movie with my mother and the trailer for only the strong came on. That was it. I think it was oh. like 1992 or something like that. Yeah. And I think, yeah. So two years later, um we were doing a show i was you know there was none around it was victoria uh, british columbia you know we we're on the, the island on the far west coast yeah uh kind of at the tip of the country there where you know not much really goes on that's you know foreign cultural they do have festivals and things but so um i think again they wanted to put on like a multicultural community um event to try to raise awareness for some stuff that was going on with uh, a group of indigenous people from Borneo try and raise some money for oh. that. And then, so she hired a bunch of different Latin American performers. And I guess this band came over from Brazil, uh, from Vancouver, sorry, that were Brazilian. Uh, at the time it was Ache Brazil. They, you know, had split, I think two years after that, they split up and uh, one remained Ache Brazil for the touring and shows. The other was Ache Capoeira. And, that was Mesdi Bahang. And so I kept in touch with him, ended up about two years later moving over to Vancouver and, you know, living at his house and started training. And then, um, wow. with a few other really? the students founded the first academy in Canada, uh, Asha Kapoeira wow. Academy in, in Vancouver. And I actually lived in the academy. I slept in the broom closet, basically, and, you know, wow. slept for free training while I was in my late teens, early 20s. Um, and trying to get wow. my act together as far as not knowing what I wanted to do career-wise or any of that. And, you know, found my way through that back into doing film stuff. So it was pretty interesting. Wow, that's amazing. What a background there. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and this is Burrell, correct? That's right. Yeah. Amazing. I, I've seen him, too. I remember uh, when we last talked, I was uh, when the lockdown happened. And I'm yeah, like, man, yeah. I can't do any jiu-jitsu. Can't, like, grab anybody uh-huh. right now. Uh, uh, I started getting into capoeira and movement training, gymnastic oh, nice. natural Good. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um he was like one of the main guys that popped up, but he's yeah. not just a, a, a master at Capoeira, but uh, also the music side of things, correct? Yeah, he's a brilliant musician and made many albums. I was fortunate enough to get to actually play music and sing on, on all of, wow. I think, six of his earliest albums uh, that he recorded all in Vancouver with the t- with the group. You know, we'd, we'd go to the music studio until wee hours and I was one of the ones who got to sit around and be in there and he did, you know, punching me in the shoulder for my opinions and stuff, which he didn't actually care what my opinion was he just wanted feedback so he could you know sort of soundboard off someone yeah um but you know i I got to be there for all that and was um, fortunate to be one of the founding members of that group in as it was in canada and now is international so we toured a lot we went to brazil a lot 
Um, he demonstrated what he had done with foreign students and what could be done, et cetera. And, and, you know, really brought some popularity to the, to the group. And, and now it's wow. international. He's, he's everywhere. So it's all over cool. place. Yeah, I, I want to cool talk to you. Um, uh, it's, it's amazing. It, uh, they're the founder. Uh, he's the founder of, it's called Grupo X. In Portuguese, if the word starts with an R or has a double R in it, it sounds like H. So Baham. And then uh, Axé, because the X sounds like a CH. Awesome, of. amazing. It's just one Can of the him. weird grammatical <laughs> issues with uh, other languages you got to get used to. You got to get my uh, my Portuguese on, bro. So uh. <laughs> No, you should. I actually learned to speak fluently through him and through his family. And, you know, mainly because they'd make fun of you a lot and you had to start to understand. Okay. Otherwise, you just get torn up. <laughs> so there's a lot of motivation that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I eventually became fluent and it was cool because by the time I actually went to Brazil, I could already speak the language. So it's easier, I think, to immerse in anything when you understand fundamentally what's going on because, yeah. you know, translations don't often do service to what's actually being said. And Very true, I didn't even yeah. know that until the time because I would hear people translating and then realize what they were saying wasn't really that accurate. Um, and that was interesting to me, so... We have that in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like uh, you were called uh, professor. Uh, yeah. I actually recently just got my black belt, and nice. now I'm professor. professor uh, but, yeah. but, I but, got that far. I was professor of capoeira. I was teaching for a while. I realized teaching wasn't really my thing. It's helped me a lot, actually, with helping to train actors and such in film. Being able to have had that experience was very important because, you know, you have to really be able to uh, spot technique and technical issues with people's yes. movements. Um, it did eventually come in and never wanted to do it as a career. I enjoy teaching people as, you know, they need to learn to build up what we're doing, but uh, just being yeah. a teacher is not the right move for me. I hear you. It's Yeah, it's different for everybody on it. Can you, can you walk people mm -hmm. through, some people may be listening that have tried Capoeira or sure. have, may have no clue about it at all. Can you go mm -hmm. like uh, how, how a match goes? Because uh, I always thought that was fascinating, uh, how a match goes mm -hmm. or a typical training session. So they call um, kind of sparring in Capoeira is jogando, so playing. Jogando uh, uh, just means playing. They have various different forms, so different styles of games, which sort of arose um, in the 60s and 70s with the two different sistemas that, that grew like um, Angola and Regional. So those have sort of become terms for styles of capoeira. They're not really meant to be styles. They're sort of, you know, um, Mestre Bimba's uh, school was actually named the uh, Capoeira Regional da Bahia. So it was like from the region of Bahia, and then they just sort of shorthanded it to Regional. So that's kind of why his style became known as that. And because he was an advocate of sort of re-strengthening Capoeira and making it into more of a combative art again because it had become very diminished and sort of taken into the, you know, the docks and backyards. Yeah. Fundo de Quintal is what they call the backyards in the, you know, um, and tended to only be practiced by older gentlemen. And, and, you know, they were obviously less physically fit and slower and they still would beat the shit out of each other, pardon <laughs> my French, but, <laughs> but it, you know, the style would be, tend to be a little more, feel a little more low to the ground and a little different, slower, not necessarily as combative. He sort of wanted to reinvigorate it. So he put himself in the newspapers, challenging any fighter from any martial art. And wow. at the time, I guess, you know, Bruce Lee was super popular. So lots of people were doing Taekwondo and Kung Fu and those things were all coming into the country and people had been training them for a little while. Um, 
so he would just challenge and then they'd do these big public fights and he would crush his opponents and prove that it was, and, but also what he did, which was very smart. Uh, he was a super smart uh, man um, was to build a system. So he actually sort of formalized having an academy instead of just groups of friends in the yards messing around. He actually had a space that he rented that became the academy. And then he had a system of, um, series of movements that you had to learn before you could pass on to next levels etc he awesome. built a grading system he very you know he formalized in a way that hadn't been done before you would wear your, your white sunday best with a black belt and wingtip shoes and keep your hat on and you know people would play and it was very malandro it was very like um which by the way is a term from rio that they sort of named the malandros were marginalized kind of gangsters maybe some pimps maybe whatever people that were like you know the street savvy would fight with you know razor blade straight razors shaving straight razors and have silk cloths around their neck to protect their neck from getting cut etc etc anyway so he didn't like that sort of marginalized element is which is what it had become you know he wanted to formalize it and make it recognized as a fighting system and so on and so forth so he did that he really brought it into the public eye again as something that wasn't just for lower class um criminals but something that could be trained and he actually had a number of students that were um caucasian had money you know could afford to pay for classes etc and again like he formalized the system of training um and and so again that was the hejanel became the distinction between those two styles and, and uh there was another um oh my goodness it's slipping my mind now what's his name mr pastinha who was kind of the the I would say the guru leader, uh, head of the formal style of Cape Angola, which was again, more in line with how it had traditionally evolved after marginalization, after the, uh, you know, abolition of slavery, etc. But yeah. again, sort of formalized it and did a similar thing, but just sort of kept more of that Fundo do Quintal backyard style, I guess you could say. Um, and, and sort of, um, uh, that was their distinction, just their style of movement and way of playing. They'd all go out in the street and everybody would play each other and everybody would have fun and beat each other up. and It was all great. But at the same time, you know, different schools would start to pop up after a while and then they'd all challenge oh. each other. And it was like, you know, the same thing. Uh, you're not a master. You don't deserve to have that belt. Great. Lock the doors. Let's challenge each other. And they'd fight the night away and whatever. So it's pretty awesome. I think it's like with, that with everything. I was like, it was like that. Exactly. Like uh -huh. You know, ours is better than yours. Is it? Prove it. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Um, <laughs> that's exactly. absolutely amazing. And, and of course, you know, anybody can obviously like Google or Wikipedia, the history of it, but the history is very interesting. It wasn't, I mean, because mm. kept where I, you know, uh, it was almost like the martial art was disguised in the dance. Uh, karate had things like that. Too. Could you go into that a little bit? Uh, sure. Okay. So there's theories and then there's anti-theories. So mm. the the most common theory is that um, Capoeira disguised its fighting in a dance format. Mm. Um, I've personally gotten to have discussions with people who are students of Mestre Bimas, like Mestre Acordeon, who's written many wonderful books about Capoeira, etc. And, you know, sort of things about that sort of thing, too. And they, they're not all in agreement on that being the case. Because during slavery and post-slavery, they didn't want anyone practicing any form of African culture. So you couldn't just hide it in some traditional dance and have it be okay. 
right? And especially to see you swing legs at each other and stuff, they might go, you might fool one or two people, but there's lots yeah. of, you know, relatively smart people who go, well, these people are training and they're getting in shape and they look pretty good and they're, they might be able to hit me with that. No one's going to kind of let that go. So I think there's some holes in that theory. Gotcha. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not the only one who believes that. The, the more likely um, or something towards more likely, because obviously none of this was documented, none of it was written down. A lot of it was oral tradition until far later, you know. So we're talking potentially a couple hundred years of history, because yeah. Brazil had slavery, I think, longer than any other country, as if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I could be. Yeah. Don't quote me 100% on that. But I think that their, their, their abolition came quite a bit later than a lot of other places. The inter internet will correct the same uh, They'll correct it, exactly. Someone will, someone will know better than I do and I'll probably get heckled for it. And that's fine, go for it. That's right. um, but the fact is, you know, these are all things that came from years and years of discussion and training. And, and word of mouth. This period, yeah. So uh, is that there was a place called Quilombo dos Palmares, which was basically a place where if a, you know, slaves had escaped, that it was sort of a refuge that they had built oh. in the jungle. I'm not exactly sure where anymore. I did know where that they thought it was. They're still not certain, but I think I'll, I'd have to look it up. And I'm sure, of course, Google can help people figure that out. Quilombo dos Palmares was sort of um, a, a refuge for escaped slaves where they built a community for themselves and had to figure out how to defend themselves. So amongst other things, you know, obviously with as whatever weaponry they could get a hold of at the time. And, you know, firearms were available and people would have those types of things as well. Many straight razors and, and you know, pump fashion spears, whatever they yeah. could do that would be that. But also there was a lot of sort of low, um, I want to call it short grass, but like brush that they would be able to hide in. And if people were coming along, you know, cavaliers, horses, etc. Yeah. You wouldn't want to really mess with that, but so you would stay low in the grass. So they figured that if people were on foot behind, they could sneak attack more. So if, some theories say that a lot of the, the kicks being low to the ground, yeah. obviously you generate a great deal of torque by turning your hips and spinning sort of hook kick style. Yeah. But if you keep your body low like that, you're not exposing yourself above whatever could be this, you know, hiding in brush and that type of thing. So similar to Taekwondo, I think the idea that they developed high kicks in order to hit people who were on, who were mounted yeah. on horseback. Uh, similarly, it would have been a uh, use of terrain that they have. I think even Silat has many low to the ground movements because a lot of that fighting style had to do with slipping in the mud, right? And yeah. you used to have less likelihood of slipping and falling if you're already lower to the ground. So terrain, I believe probably had a lot to do with how the style developed. Yeah. Um, and then of course, if you're going to train that, with people, you're going to have a circle of people around. So the Hada is natural, naturally evolves. And the idea of training the music's nothing. Thailand's been doing that for for probably millennia. Um, so the idea of fighting and training with music and singing and people instigating is, is uh, you know, a lot of where that comes from. And to be honest, I think there was uh, probably a lot of influence from different traders that would come and go. So like um, Savat for many styles of kicking. If you look at old yeah. um, depictions of capoeira movement and drawings, a lot of them have a very similar style to what French Savat drawings of their training books look like. Um, yeah. There's So there's, there's a lot of things like that historically that I think were, you know, cross-cultural um, 
uh, inspiration, obviously. And, you know, watching boxing matches, watching because pugilism has been around for millennia as well. Like all those things have been there and they've all influenced. Right. So probably initially there was there was a couple of probably had influence uh, from, you know, probably slaves had been traded around Southeast Asia as well and picked up some of that. And then, you know. I feel like there's a, a lot of that kind of melding going on throughout Mingling. the millennia. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, people picking things that, that were effective and then yeah. applying that and building it into their system. And so, you know, I think over decades or even hundreds of years of, of travel and education and don't forget Africa already had its own tons of different um, fighting styles and ways oh, yeah. of battle. And, you know, so included in that and you know fighting foreigners who came to their land and they would see other things that they could be useful so there's there's lots of potential for where it all evolved from and how it all came together but they think that the the place where capoeira was really formulated into what it's um, modern day well pre pre pre-modern day because again it sort of dipped with marginalization and and uh, slavery would be this quilombo dos pomares um, so that would be a place where people would get together and that would be somewhere where they could freely sing their instruments with their rhythms and add, you know, gotcha. ritual and ceremony. And that, so it makes way more sense realistically to think that that would be more likely where Capoeira, as it's seen today as a cultural phenomenon, would have developed. And again, once slavery was abolished and African American, uh, African Brazilians, sorry, were free to begin to look for jobs it was still very marginalized they weren't allowed oh, to and okay. that's where it would have fallen into that criminal element and become something that people didn't a part of right uh and then again that's why Master Bimba etc wanted to bring it back to something that could be a cultural pride point of pride something wow. that could be taken seriously by the world something that would be recognized as something that was legitimate and uh, um brought back into the light so to speak not you know not um stuck with wow. a stigma yeah well, that's amazing pretty cool that's actually amazing. Yeah. It, it's amazing and, and i love i love the history on it too because it, it, it does depict on what, what you know the terrain or the the battles or wars or whatever these martial arts were, were created for uh really depicts on what the style becomes um and i love that too uh you know and, and now you see more and more in pop culture you know and, and and legitimately MMA this is, the, is the new like martial mm. arts, so to speak. Sure. You, you know, you see these nasty ass, like from ground up. I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. there's a couple guys that have done these down up backspin head kicks. Like, yeah. On, like, well, on my, my master's oh. son, my master's son was the one who, that was his video. Oh, wow. So was his nickname. And he was the first one that ever, that, that had that um, viral knockout, this male little follow up. Exactly. Guy leaned Brutal. back in and took his head off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah like, that was his son. I know, right? Yeah, effective. Absolutely, yes, absolutely amazing. And I love that you went going to the music side of things too, because uh-huh. multiple martial arts styles. There's, there's, just take music out of it for a second. But the concepts mm-hmm. of rhythm and timing, uh-huh. it, you can't help it in, in the style. Um, if you go into that side of things. I mean, you talked a little bit already, but that side of things of movement, timing, uh, the rhythmic part of the movement mm-hmm. uh, for that. Yeah. So rhythm and timing is vital. You know. Because you, also your uh, uh, flow and sensibility with where someone's movement, like your sensitivity to them, is very important when it comes to being able to time attacks and defenses, right? And as you know from, from jiu-jitsu, it's like the non-visual, right? You're sensing where people are moving and feeling where they're pressing, where the pressure is going, 
how they're using those setups to play physical chess with you. And, yeah. you know, sometimes they're putting pressure there because they're looking for a certain response and they really want to take it another way. Those things all come from, from finding that rhythm and timing and, yeah. and, and being sensitive to where things are going and moving. Um, I was listening to John Danaher who said something amazing yeah. too about jujitsu. Just this is a non sequitur sort of, but like looking at the Olympics, what are some of the strongest sports that use the dynamics of the human body? And he, his reference, I think, was um, javelin. He said, if you take a yes. javelin thrower, how much force they can generate from their feet up all the way through their body and launch that spear as far as they can. Well, what, yeah. if, you, what if you take away, what if you put them on their knees? How far could they really throw it then? Great so point. the whole point of, is like take away what their strength is, where, where you can generate devastating force, take that away, then pass the next thing, which would be their strong feet because anyone can get a good face kick from the ground and that's it. Yeah. You know, so get those out of the way first and then, you know, take a position to either attack or, or, or um, submit from there, right? So it's like the yeah. three stages of things. Um, but those all go with a sense of timing, sensation, and feeling, you know, when you have oh, to yeah. dance and pull and tug, and then if it goes one way and then feeling half beats and all that, it's great to do that with the rhythmic timing of, of drums or some other form of music. Um, yeah. Just to help build that up, you know, there's baby steps, right? You want to learn yeah. everything. You want to learn to crawl before you can walk and then run, etc. So music is a great way to, um, to instigate that type of rhythm and timing without having to think about it. You know, Great I think that point. takes away, takes away the element of having to consciously think one, two, you know what I mean? So music yeah. and rhythm and then off rhythms and t different really help. That's a I think subconsciously. Great point. Mm -hmm. I think subconsciously those things help um, with training because they, they, they naturally exactly. get your body into a place where it, it can flow and feel and be instinctual and receptive to those inputs that are going to help you fight better uh, and and more enjoyable training frankly it just makes you probably train longer if you're enjoying it and not thinking about how tired you are you oh. know because there's yeah. some drive and motivation to do it so i think that there's a lot to be said too for the fact that there's endorphins released from that and the music really can motivate longer stronger deeper more intense training yeah i mean if anybody ever see i mean i've seen um performances in person for capoeira mm -hmm. with with the music and mm -hmm. and you're just a, a spectator watching you're like bro well, i'm getting jazzed up here you know yeah yeah, I know. yeah. it's great yeah absolutely that's, that's and amazing, the coolest man. thing about the songs in capoeira is a lot of them are melodic and they're like unifying a lot mm -hmm. of them are instigating a lot of them are like yeah. okay this mo this mofo right here i'm about to break his teeth and you know like there's a lot of songs that are like you can't touch me look how fast i am come on it's, you know they're taunting and challenging as well which is also something that's pretty fun and funny and cultural and uh again if you don't speak the language you don't get any of that experience out of it you just yeah. hear rhythms and it's like ah it's fine it's cool i get it it's a bit repetitive but whatever um but when you actually know what they're saying it's way more fun way more yeah. especially when someone's clever and they're like there's some there's some masterful i don't want to call them rappers because it's not that but rhymers in yeah. in that world and man i've seen some stuff go off that's pretty entertaining the way they weave that <laughs> well and even yeah. like when you guys spar um you know sparring mm. obviously you're not going like full contact you know but nah, like, what's I've, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty intense <laughs> depends who it is and what their intentions are 
Some people get in the Hada and they just want to eat the other person alive. Some people have grudges that that's when they let it out. Big Sunday Hadas wow. in the street in Brazil. If you go down to Sao Paulo or Curitiba, here, Rio de Janeiro or any, anywhere like that, even up in, not I keep saying even, all over Brazil. But there's some hot spots like, you know, Grupo Muzenza and, and down in Curitiba, they have a lot of different factions and they get together every Sunday and they have big street Hadas and they wow. beat the shit out of each other. Wow, man. They go for it. A lot of them are big dudes because they're like European mix. So they're like, you know, oh, okay. totally mixed and just muscle-bound, massive people. And when they move, you're like, oh, my God. I did not expect that guy to move that yeah. fast. And then they kick each other. And you're like, is his spleen okay? Jesus yeah. Christ. But they all <laughs> practice boxing and jiu-jitsu, too. So then next yeah. thing you see, some guys getting dumped on his head, and then they're getting into it on the ground. Wow. On concrete. I'm like, not even concrete. Cobblestone. Yeah. And they're barefoot. There's no pads. Nobody's doing There's no headgear. You don't wear teeth guards. No, no. People like getting lit up and split lips and broken noses and people telling wow, shit. All that. It, they get intense, man. People always think, oh, it's showy, it's dancey. Yes, everything is. There's lots of jujitsu practitioners that like to do clever, cool things, but but try messing with them. It's devastating. Yeah, exactly. Funny. And it's a, an amazing, that's a great point. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, the cross, I always like to talk about cross training. It's so important, I feel, mm. and, and interesting. But that cross training specifically with capoeira, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, boxing, and yeah. uh, lethal uh, combo. <clears throat> yeah, good um, combination. That's a very good combination. Because yeah. the other thing about when you're playing lightly or, you're, you know, the hard is not so intense, you're getting a lot of that flow and rhythm and reaction time. You know, your distance becomes very good because you want to hang in the pocket. You want to stay close, but you don't want to get hit. Yeah. They're not not it's trying to hit you just because they're not trying to kill you with it. They're not not trying to hit you. They are trying to hit you. Yeah, you, you don't try to miss each other. Kicking that guy has to get out of the way, and if he doesn't, eh, it's his yeah. fault or her fault <laughs> or their right. fault, whatever. Yeah, yeah. If you get hit. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just gonna keep swinging my legs and coming your way. If you get hit, it's not my fault. I love I love the nonstop <laughs> movement, the change yeah. of movement. Right there's like mm -hmm. a flow, and all of a sudden that redirect. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely amazing, man. Um, and honestly, I, I wanted to segue because I think I've had a lot of different stunt performers on the, on the show. And it was surprising a lot of gymnasts, which makes so much sense for stunt performers. The, the gymnastics, the body yeah. awareness. You know what? Uh, Dancers but, make great stunt performers too, because they already build stories into their movement. They already have something that they're thinking about that's in topic. line with character. Um, I think what martial artists struggle with isn't the movement. It's they struggle with the story points. And if I could oh. say one thing about any martial arts in a movie, if I can see them counting beats, I hate it. I don't care how cool the movements are. I don't want to see anybody counting a cadence. I don't want to see one, two, three, four. Even if there's half beats, it's still, I could see it. It's obvious. Um, and you don't want to see the work. It's like watching a great ballet. You want to see, if it looks hard, yeah. then they're not professional enough. You know what I mean? You want to feel the power, but you don't want to see the work behind it. You don't want to see the gears turning. You need to, you need to feel like they're instinctually reacting to something that they've seen yeah. and responded to. It's the same with dialogue. You know when bad acting is there? You don't know why it's bad. You just know yeah. it sucks. Same thing with That's fights. They could be marvelous martial artists, but they're not necessarily good performers. Right? So yeah. performance is a huge aspect. And people definitely need to take that side of it more seriously, especially new people mm -hmm. who are trying to get in. The most yeah. important thing you can do if you want to be a good performer is go take some acting classes. Go understand, maybe even do oh, a dance okay. class or two. You don't have to become a dancer, but you do have to understand right. what's happening. And it isn't just doing things on account. It's doing things because there's a reason to do it. You know, the most interesting fight sequences, are, you don't remember the choreography specifically. You remember the moments in between. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
for example, I was building a two two punch fight scene for um, Aaron Eckhart and this other actor down in in, um, in Mississippi. And what do you do with two beats? Well, I'd try and make a story out of it. One guy's got a pipe wrench and he's got brass knuckles. So I'm like, okay. So he pulls it. He's like, I got a pipe wrench. It's on the brass knuckles. But it's still a pipe wrench. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, so I have him swing at his head and he does a little slip dodge, break his collarbone. And before he can finish saying, oh, you broke my cap, hit him in the liver, the, the thing, knock him out. So you give him a liver shot. He goes down. And then the funniest part of it is the camera pans over him and he starts <laughs> gagging on the ground like a passed out drunk guy. That's funny. <laughs> But it's only yeah. two beats, and now it's memorable two beats. It's not just, oh, yeah. he did two punches. You know, so there's ways to build story into it, and people will remember it. If it's just cool choreography, who cares? Yeah. Great point. Yeah, otherwise it's a bunch of movement or something. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I wanted how that segued in from your, yeah. your capoeira experience into storytelling. Well, something I was going to say that I – the reason I learned that, and this is kind of hilarious – is because doing school shows for like kindergartners, doing capoeira, performing capoeira, we would go on stage and I would do a really tough tumbling pass on hardwood floor. And the kids wouldn't blink an eye. They'd be like, eh. And then a dude would come out on his, doing a handstand, clapping his feet, and they'd shit their pants and lose their minds. They thought it was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. But you start to realize if it's complex, only yeah. a percentage of people are going to understand it and actually care. Most people can't comprehend what it is, so they just like, whatever, that's fine. I think it's whatever. Wow. But there's something innately cool about something you could almost possibly do, and it has a little bit of a story to it. People love that. So that was kind of my epiphany on, huh, it doesn't have to be that complex necessarily. Wow. The coolness isn't in that, the cool story behind it. And so kind of learned that early on just by um, trying to entertain toddlers. <laughs> that's so interesting, though, man. I yeah. But that's yeah, there's what no real like school for like. that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you kind of have to realize those things along the way, and that was a funny way to do it. But yeah, there's it's the same as you know, good plot, good writing. You don't see what the plot is; you just feel that it's there, right? And in yeah. order to, it seems easy because it looks easy, but it's not yeah. easy. It takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of practice, and it takes a lot of time to to know that, understand it, and then incorporate it. It's not something that happens overnight. That's amazing. And I, I want to ask, cause we're kind of segueing into more of the, the film TV side of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, you know, what's interesting to me, especially having gotten involved in a lot of editing myself, which is a hmm. totally different monster. Uh, oh, absolutely. I love oh, it. Dude. It's crazy. Uh, but when you're like setting up a fight choreography for something, imagine, yeah. obviously there's a script of course, and all that there's sure. different beats that need to be in there. Um, mm -hmm. What camera angle and editing a big thing I've, I've realized too was camera movement. You got your establishing mm. shot, but it's so boring. I, I want to see like the punch go yeah. in and go, oh, go, yeah. go into that side of things, man. So that's actually a really interesting point. Um, developing, I, I always like to try and develop something. You build off the movement, of course. Um, and typically those movements, again, were built off of story points. So you need to connect with shoe leather. Um, but I always try to keep the camera as subjective as I can inside the battle, wherever it can be. So it's actually part of the choreography. Um, for me, that's the most interesting way of being because as an audience member, I want to be in it. I want to be on the edge of my seat. I want to be excited by it. Yeah. I want to see that fist come up to the lens and then follow it where it goes and where it lands and then see how it connects to the next beat. And those things are all very important. Um, one hard thing about that, though, is sometimes you could do a really cool previs and you can move around with a smaller, lighter camera 
And then you get on set and they've got this big ass camera and it sits on a guy's shoulder. He's got a pot belly and he doesn't really do much more than tilt and pan. And you're like, yeah, okay, well, so that can sometimes be a bummer, but I've been lucky enough on the past few shows, um, through Loki, Hawkeye, now on Guardians, to be able to have camera ops that are really interested in, in getting what we're bringing to the table because it's all signed off and approved. Oh, awesome. It goes up and down the ladder through Marvel, and Marvel is like, mm, we need to see what they built because that's what we signed off on. So there's a little more motivation awesome. for that to happen, which is pretty badass. But, you know, it's all that visual storytelling, you know? Yeah. Certain movement leads to a certain edit. And I find a lot of times that the camera will dictate that. Like, again, I don't try to be too cool or fancy with a camera. I want to be, because uh, I, I don't want to notice that there's a camera. I want to not be distracted oh. from it. So there's a fine line you have to walk between doing something that's cool and using a certain technique, whether it's speed ramping or following a certain thing or whatever. Okay. I like to do things in lockstep with movement a lot. So a lot yeah. of things that I'll design will try to be like wherever the character is going and try to either move with them or be countering them in a particular way. Those for me are very interesting shots, especially if you count around something, revealing something else, and then that person gets yeah. hit and the camera flies with them. Those yeah. types of ideas for me are, are very, they're beautiful. But it gives they're you interesting. Those moments. Uh huh. And then you're with the character. So being with the character is the most important part, right? The person who's suffering in that moment, I want to be on the ride with them. And then as soon as they do something cool and let me out of it, I want them to transition and hand me off to whatever next important beat there is and try to keep the center of focus in an action sequence very clearly in the center of the frame. Those are some, awesome. some tricks that I try to try to use. That's lot. amazing. And I, and I, I want, I want to say this too, since we last talked, uh, Loki dropped and mm. I, m I remember watching the first couple episodes and I reached out an email. I'm like, bro, man, this is, you're doing amazing work. You're like, Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, just wait. <laughs> it gets way, way more. Haven't shown anything yet. <laughs> I, I mean, it, was, it was amazing. Yeah, but, too, it? Yeah. Uh, it was unbelievable. Um, nice. and I remember Thank going you. into that. You're just how much Tom Hiddleston was putting himself into the stunts. You, go oh, into, I mean, it's been yeah. out, but all, going to that. Everything that he, everything that he didn't like, get pulled on a well, he did get pulled on a wire a couple of times but we didn't have him ever hit the ground so other than hitting the ground he pretty much did all of his own fighting wow. um he did do some wire work and and did a bunch of great things like he really put himself through the ringer and as i was saying in our previous interview he impressed the heck out of me with his work ethic he just wanted to train wanted to build the character and the scene into everything he did we sort of gave him this bullfighter gracefulness to the way that he moved and he incorporated yeah. that really um, you know, the Matador thing really worked for him. So he had something cool to play off of. And, and so did Sophia, by the way, Sophia, who oh, played yeah. the, the female Loki. She came onto the show. Uh, and I don't recall if we completely discussed this or not. I think we might've mentioned kind of over it a little bit, but she had just had a baby and had never trained oh, yeah. any martial arts of any kind prior to that. Wow. So she had zero experience and we got started to train with her and it was, it was tight. It was tough. But then I think in her case, luckily COVID hit because she took that, okay. you know, three month window that we had and worked really diligently to work, you know, and she had a great stunt double who would zoom with her and they do classes and all that. And it was, it was pretty great. Um, so she brought it too, because Tom set the bar and then she kept up with him, she just you know, which it. was pretty amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Was there a particular, like a, uh sequence for you for this that just stood out as just uh, uh just, i don't know crazy or for looking yeah. um my uh, two of my favorites where I, I love the the 
funny battle we did with all the different Lokis in the, in the <laughs> void. That was hilarious. So that was a fun day of smashing things around and throwing people through the air. Um, I really love the finale and I really loved yeah. building out like the story with the movement and everything in there. Um, oh, that yeah. was a really interesting one to develop with, with the team. Um, and we spent a lot of time on it and pulled a lot of reference from like Wong Kar Wai movies in particular Grandmaster. Cause there's some really beautiful, um, there's a oh, really beautiful fight in the, in the Peony palace, I guess, with, uh, Tony Lung and, um, Zhang Ji. There's a great match between them that I took a lot of inspiration about, you know, them fighting, but him throwing her, then saving her, and then her taking advantage and spinning it back. And that, so the characterization between those two actually played really well for Loki and Sophia in this final thing, because there's this little, can I ever trust you thing going on with them. So I really wow. was inspired by that fight in order to use that emotional content yeah. to build out what the finale was for, for uh, Loki. Yeah, and you really felt that, yeah, within when the fights themselves. Uh, I also wanted to bring this up because I actually just watched this last night, just released, and as a, a malignant. Malignant, uh, you did watch it last night? Excellent. Bro, it <laughs> yeah, was, was so good. One, yeah. and I actually had a guy, um, uh, a special effects guy that actually designed uh, the knife. The knife, great. Which That's we can awesome. say now. It's in, it, we, we can say that now. Yeah, it's a dagger. That's right. Uh, man, I, I'm not going to give anything away. Guys, uh, if you like any of James Wan's stuff, uh, you have to go check this movie out. There's some crazy ass surprises in it. Uh, mm -hmm. What was this like working on this for you? I had a blast working on that show. I really, really enjoyed it. And I actually got to go a little bit back and forth with them on uh, Instagram while I was while I was watching it because it was really great because I was actually kind of going back and forth with them. As each scene came up, I was like, yes, yeah, the prison scene's hilarious. That worked great. And, <laughs> and the, the police station for me, I was like, yeah, it came together exactly as I... I had planned it. So that RoboCam shot did the whole up, down, and around, yeah. whatever. I got yeah. to spend the entire day with my stunt team and the technician for that RoboCam and design that whole shot with all the beats and all the action and, and put wow. it together and then locked it in and we got it on the day in three takes, which was amazing. Wow, really? Um, and it, yeah, it turned out exactly as I hoped it would. It was, it was marvelous. Dude, so it was like, it was that. so unique. That was the other thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's why I love your work, bro. Uh, oh, you bring you. something that's always memorable. Um, and, and unique. And again, you raised the bar again, even in this, I was not <laughs> expecting it. I mean, I'm sure there's a script, but, uh, like yeah. you do Loki, um, mm -hmm. that reference you just said with Sophie, like, yeah, are you literally felt uh, in Lo the Loki fight sequences? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. they don't really trust each other still, but I, I I'm immersed in the story and same thing. Guys yeah. definitely yeah. check, check out Malignant, especially, you know, Halloween seasons. Popping in. <laughs> Super um, fun. It's amazing. There's a bunch of amazing work uh, that's popped in uh, since we last talked to. I just want to give a uh, reference to uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Ron Howard film. Uh, this was an, an awesome surprise too. Uh, Greenland. Uh, you know, and what better time to do it? I'm like, uh, <laughs> things got crazy enough in the lockdown. I'm like, if it gets like 30% worse, man, we're yeah. going to have to get like post-apocalyptic you know, Book of Eli mode here. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Uh, that's really cool, man. I appreciate that you like it. I, I really do because that's that you know. First and foremost, I love the work that I do in designing and building. It is amazing, um, yeah. but it's really incredible to hear good feedback and that people are enjoying it. And it, it, you yeah. know, it's uh, the confirmation that I need to know that the to keep on we're on the right track. I love that. That's great. One hundred percent. At this point in, in the uh, the interview, uh, is there any future stuff that you want to talk about, or is Malignant good enough to kind of plug? Or yeah, Malignant, Malignant's great to plug. That's awesome. Um, awesome. 
stay tuned. It won't come out till probably the end of 2022, but Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is what we're working on right now. Oh, man. Yeah. So having some fun building some very cool sequences in that right now. Um, and it's a very, I can't obviously say too much, but it's a very yeah. good script. Obviously, James Gunn is pretty genius. Um, yeah. On one, it's so funny because learning new people's process uh, is, is really cool. And seeing, you know, he's very meticulous. He wants everything to be very specifically. And you can see that in his script because, you know, all of his amazing music cues. Oh. Yeah. Each song, each music cue is like timed and on the page. This music cue starts here. It starts in the headphones. It comes out at this point. Like it's all very detailed in the screenplays. Wow. All of those timings and music cues and whatever. And then he has specific storyboards that he wants you to follow. But the boards are hilarious because although they're detailed, like the, the what the scene is and if it's like a continuation board, but they're so like poorly hand sketched that they're really hard to discern <laughs> sometimes what they are. Like, what is that? Oh, it's a, is that a person? I'm not sure. Which way are they looking? It's kind of, okay, good. And then there's, you know, arrows and designs. And so it's very clear what the movement is that he wants, but sometimes you're looking at the boards going, really? <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, like a $200 million movie. You couldn't hire a guy to draw, to do a back version after. <laughs> but he just likes, that. it's enough for him. That's all he wants. So it's, it's, it's actually really cool to see that. You know, I bought a book. Hmm. That I guess they turned it into a graphic novel of Bong Joon Ho, who's done oh, right some of them. He did, I think, the the one that everybody really knows him for, obviously, is Parasite. But his mother oh, yeah. is incredible. Um, what else did he do? He did uh, Memories of Murder was incredible. Like his movies are awesome. Yeah. He's one of those directors that like Martin Scorsese loves. Uh, that's a foreign oh, director, and vice versa. Like they're both fans of each other's work, kind of thing. I love seeing but these he, guys fanboy out at this. Oh my level. god! Yeah, yeah, totally. And they that's like those they do that. Um, but Bong Joon Ho had released a book of the the making of Parasite, and it's a storyboards from the whole thing. Oh, and really? it's super. I re highly recommend it. Anyone who's interested in filmmaking should totally read it. Buy it. It's yeah. a great, great thing to have on your shelf. But yeah, and some of the storyboards are very meticulous and detailed. But literally, if you watch the movie, it's shot for shot. He doesn't change anything on the day. He goes in, this is our day, this is what we're shooting. Even when it's like a, just a subtle, minimal camera move, it's on the page and he's written it out and described exactly what he wants. And it's all that. It's really cool to see. I, oh, I personally, pro my process is not like that. I like to get things on its feet with real people in a real room. I can't sort of just imagine it and draw it out. For me, that's too hard. I need to do, put, you know, get things on their feet and walk yeah. it around and then find angles and all that stuff. But it's pretty cool to see how some of these people who make incredible work, how their process is and how they design and build a show from the ground up. Uh, that's how much uh, a question I had. Like, is all this stuff, like if I'm watching a John Wick movie, it's just like yeah. beat for beat in the script? Or um, I'm, I'm sure there's more than one way. Like you said, like you guys no, So John Wick's a whole other story, right? Because Chad has his process and his process is different too. He has yeah. his whole team train the actors up for three or four months in advance kind of even like before they start getting paid they're already doing the work and they kind of build out all of the stuff before they ever go into prep so they already have it worked out and then they'll pre-visit put it together so they probably doesn't storyboard everything i don't know i haven't been on one personally but like they'll, they'll pre-visit the heck out of every action scenes and then they'll have stuff and whatever but it's just a little bit of a different process the way those guys go through it they do they do similarly they put it on its feet in a room with box, cardboard boxes and pads and shoot it and then figure out what that's going to be and then take notes and then rebuild, you know, carry on. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's incredible, obviously with the martial arts, but also with filmmaking, he's super smart. Like talk yeah. about a guy who's studied 
you know, um, Tarkovsky and the greats, the populars from the 80s and end up until now, you know, like knows his, knows his stuff. So it's pretty cool. That's amazing, man. man sure, Lloyd, yeah. thanks so, so much for being on the show again. It's great catching up. And uh, again, absolute fan of your work. Everybody definitely go check out Thank his work. You. Uh, you've already probably, if you're watching this, you probably already watched Loki and waiting for Hawkeye and then season two of Loki. But <laughs> Malignant's out right now. Definitely go check that out. I'm super excited yeah. for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And uh, man, till, till the next one, bro. Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure as usual. Can't wait to talk again. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things grappling, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. We also take topic recommendations, so feel free to reach out to us on our Instagram or Facebook pages for that. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train at our academy, Olympus Jiu-Jitsu. Until the next one, keep training.